We're going to jump right into the message today because we're going to be talking about this concept of sharing a meal together and the significance of what can happen at a dinner table. We've been in this series called A Day in the Life of a Normal Christian, and our goal has been to really understand what it means to be a Christian and what are the kind of habits and practices and behaviors that fill the days of people who claim to follow Jesus. So we've, we've understood that there are some uh, inadequate, incomplete definitions of Christianity floating around in our world today. Um, I, as a pastor, I, I get interesting reactions when I meet people and they find out what I do. And most people, their first uh, impulse is to try to convince me uh, that they're a Christian, too. So uh, people find out, oh, you're a pastor. Well, I believe in God. I get that a lot. I believe in God. And... Um, and it's, it's as though this, this being able to check off this belief, um, this assent to, to a belief statement, uh, is like, oh, I, I'm, a, I'm just like you. I believe in God, just like you. Uh, the other thing I get a lot is I go to church. Oh, you're a pastor? Well, I, I go to church, which is really code for don't ask me to come to your church. Like, please, just, just, just back off, man. Everybody assumes I've got an agenda, uh, which I do, but, you know, it's not, it's not what they think. That's the thing. <laughs> I just like people. Um, so, so it's always like, I go to church, you know? So it's basically saying, hey, you're a pastor. I'm just like you. I go to church. I believe in God. I go to church. That makes me just like you, right? And I just, I think that that falls short of what Jesus really called us to. The life that he invited us into is so much more than just agreeing with a belief statement or and it's so much more than just showing up at church from time to time. He invited us to something deeper and richer and fuller and more challenging and more rewarding than that. Essentially, what Jesus invited us to was a lifestyle that says, hey, everything I do, listen, I'm not perfect, but everything I do, I really want to honor God. I'm just convinced Jesus is Lord. And so he owns every part of my life, my interactions with people and how I talk to God and what I do in my spare time. And I mean, it's all his. And that's the direction I'm moving with my life. Like, that's, that's what Jesus means when he says, come and follow me. That's what we mean when we say Christian or disciple or Jesus-centered here at Cicero Christian Church. It all means the same thing. And so we want to re reclaim that and recapture that true definition of what it means to be a Christian. In order to do that, we really need to understand what are the normal practices of a Jesus follower. As we've talked about a few of those things uh, as we've gone through this series, last week we talked about prayer. We had a great session with Amber on imaginative prayer. If you missed that, I encourage you to, to find that online and you can, you can catch up on that. But today we're going to talk about sharing a meal, that we believe it's normal for Christians to share meals with people who are different from us, and that there's power at the dinner table. I believe that this addresses some really deep needs that we have in our, uh, in our human nature. These are not just you know, modern issues. These are not just American issues. These are things that I think are true for all people all over the place. I think one of those is that we need to find common ground with people around us. We need to be able to have a connection and find something in common with people around us. Now, here in America, there's some, a lot of tension with that because we have a very individualistic society. Our society really values my uniqueness as an individual, and I'm different. I, I walk my own path. I, I walk to the beat of my own drummer. And we really value that individuality in America, but we can't get over this human need to, for people to like us, right? Just on, on the very surface, we, we just need to be liked. We need to be connected with other human beings. 
And so our individuality uh, sort of has tension with this need for community. But we all need a place where we have some common ground. You know what it's like to feel like you don't belong, don't you? you? You've been in situations, you've walked into a room, you've shown up at an event, and you immediately realized, I, I don't think I have anything in common with these people. It's uncomfortable. And, and we try to get out of those situations as quick as we can and back to people that we can go, okay, these are my people. I don't have to, I don't have to think about how to talk or act. These are my people. They understand me. We all need that. I think another thing that we all need is the sense of being welcome in someone else's home. That, that may not be obvious to us on the surface, but when you have it, you really treasure it. And when you don't have it, I think there's something in us that longs for it. We need to feel like we're welcome in someone else's home. So uh, we have sort of an open door policy at our house, and uh, we have people who stop by unannounced, um, you know, quite regularly. And I love that. I love that people stop by unannounced. And, uh, but at our house, it goes a step further. So our main entrance is in the, on the back, and there's no doorbell. So you could stand back there and knock all day, and we would have no idea that you're there. And so our close friends that know that uh, just come in. And so uh, we'll be in the front watching TV or something, and, and somebody from the kitchen will shout, hey, Adam. <laughs> and I get up, and, there's, and Ben is in my kitchen, or Chad is in my kitchen. And it's like, oh, hi, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> uh, didn't know you were coming over. Uh, I, I really like that. I like that sense of, of friendship and, and fellowship that we, we can have where you just welcome in our home. Uh, our friend Zach would call that fridge rights. Fridge rights is when you can just, you just walk into somebody's house, go straight to the fridge and help yourself. That's, that's a deep level of friendship. That's a deep level of community. And I, I really like that. I think that's a valuable thing. And I think when you have it, you really treasure it. And when you don't have it, you long for it. I think uh, another need is a safe place to have difficult conversations. We all need a safe place to talk about the controversial, the challenging, the emotional things that happen in our world and our society all the time. And, and this year, this past year, has given us a lot of difficult things to talk about, hasn't it? I mean, we have so many issues going on in our world and in our culture and in our own families and communities. Where, where can we talk about that safely? We, we know where the unsafe places are, right? Uh, we've been making jokes for a couple years uh, as a society about... Thanksgiving dinner is not the time. It's not the time to bring this up. We know all the families, you know, the, these controversial, divisive issues, don't bring it up at Thanksgiving because somebody's going to get mad and you won't see them for five years, you know? Social media, not a safe place to have these conversations, in case you're wondering. We, we can be so divisive and unkind, really, on social media, because I think part of us forgets that we're talking to a human being. It's like, well, I'm just, the screen doesn't care. I can't hurt the screen's feelings. There's a human on the other side of that, and we just forget. And so social media is not a safe place. Email, even text messaging, all fall short. So if you can't find a safe place to talk about difficult issues, what do you do? You just don't talk about them. You just kind of hold all your opinions inside, and there's nowhere where you can get feedback or you can hear other people's ideas and different perspectives, and that's unhealthy. So we all need this. We need, a, we need a place of common ground. We need a place where we feel at home, and we need a safe place to talk about difficult things. And I believe that the way Jesus lived his life shows that all three of those needs can be met at a dinner table. I'm convinced of that. So let's take a look at how Jesus lived this out and um, 
see if we can learn anything from him that we can apply to our lives today. So we're going to be in uh, the book of Luke, but we're just sort of going to zip through. So um, if you've got fast fingers, you can keep up. I'd love for you to do that. But uh, the gospel writers, I think, were very intentional about the things they recorded about Jesus's daily life. So we don't, there's a lot of, that we don't get. You know, have you ever wondered, you know, did Jesus ever take a shower or a bath? I mean, because the Bible doesn't say he ever took a bath. Well, I'm sure he took a bath. I know, it's weird, but I think about things like that, okay? It doesn't say that he did, but that doesn't mean that he didn't. Obviously, he did. Of course he did, right? But the gospel writers, they chose what they put in their biographies for a reason. And so there's a lot of things we we don't hear about Jesus's daily life. So when they include something about Jesus's daily life, that's sort of a mundane kind of thing, then we should pay attention to that. I believe it's Jesus setting an example for us. And Jesus spent a lot of time eating meals with people who were very different from him. So to begin with, we'll start Luke chapter five. Uh, Jesus calls this man named Levi to be a follower. Uh, Levi, who we would know as Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. In Luke five, Jesus calls uh, Levi to be a disciple. And then he goes and eats at Levi's house. And all of Levi's friends are sinners. I mean, he kind of hangs out with a rough crowd. And Jesus goes and eats a meal with them. Um, Very soon after that, in Luke 5, 33, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and they're asking this question, hey, how come you and your disciples are always eating? Like, that doesn't seem, it matches up with what our guy teaches. John the Baptist was very much into fasting. And so all his disciples fasted and Jesus' disciples are always eating. And I wonder if there wasn't a little bit of envy on John's side. They're looking at Jesus' disciples going, hey, this isn't fair. We're fasting all the time. These guys are out partying all the time. What gives, John? And so they go and ask Jesus this question. In Luke chapter seven, uh, Jesus sits down with a Pharisee named Simon for a meal. He's invited to Simon's house and he sits down and has a meal with a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the public enemies of Jesus. They were the ones who felt like Jesus was trying to lead the Jewish people away from the true faith. And they did everything they could to discredit him in public. And yet Jesus accepts an invitation to a meal at Simon's house. But when he gets there, he doesn't hold back. And he actually calls Simon out for being a bad host in this conversation. In Luke chapter nine, Jesus himself hosts a dinner for 5,000 people. Yeah, 5,000 people. You you freak out when you have to cook for like seven or 10 or 12. 5,000. Jesus is like, bring them on. I'll feed them all. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats uh, a meal at the home of Mary and Martha and does something that I would not advise. He takes side in an, sides in an argument between the sisters. Don't do that. But Jesus, Jesus can do it. No, I wouldn't do that. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus eats a meal at another Pharisee's house. And in, in this context, Jesus is happy to accept invitations, but when he gets there, I mean, he's pretty honest. And so he starts criticizing the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And uh, this is one of the more amusing uh, stories, I think, in Scripture. So while he's criticizing the Pharisees, there are some lawyers there, some biblical lawyers there, like professional Bible nerds, and they're going, hey, Jesus, when you criticize the Pharisees, it sort of feels like you're picking on us, too. And Jesus kind of says, well, all right, well, let's talk about you. And then he starts criticizing the lawyers, too. So uh, they should have kept quiet. And Luke chapter 14, Jesus is eating at another Pharisee's house. And in that um, instance, he heals a man, uh, which is controversial because it's the Sabbath and he wasn't supposed to do that. And then he gives this instruction in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. I want to read this to you. 
I think this is a good snapshot of how Jesus feels about eating meals with people. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus' idea about eating meals together was, hey man, it's, it's really awesome when you can sit down with people who are very different from you. So find people who are different and eat with them. In Luke chapter 15, uh, the Pharisees are freaking out at the beginning because Jesus is eating with sinners. Now, this is a big deal because, uh, as we said, you don't cross social lines in Eastern culture to sit down at a meal with somebody. So if you do accept an invitation to, to have dinner with somebody, you're basically saying, hey, I'm with you, I'm for you. And he accepted an invitation to at least three different Pharisees' homes. So the Pharisees are like, okay, Jesus is sort of with us. Like, he's on board with our, our agenda, our plan. He, he's with us. And then he goes and eats with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And they're like, wait a minute. You can't be with us and be with them. Jesus, you got to make up your mind. You got to pick. Who are you actually with? In Luke chapter 15, towards the end, Jesus tells uh, one of the most uh, well-known and powerful stories about the prodigal son who takes his father's inheritance, goes away, blows it all, becomes poor, destitute. He's starving to death, so he comes home. And what does the father do when he gets home? He prepares a feast. It's time to eat. Let's eat. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. He says, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner, like tonight. Like, do we, do, we don't do that in our cult. That would be fun. We should start doing it. Jennifer, I'm coming over tonight. Hope you've got, hope Brian's got some uh, smoked uh, brisket ready. Ooh. Seriously, let's talk about it. <laughs> in Luke 22, Jesus eats one last meal with his disciples, the last time he's gonna be with them before he's crucified. And he, he shares a meal with them. And then in Luke chapter 24, man, such a cool story. This is after he rose from the dead, but nobody knew it yet. So there are a couple disciples walking on the road and they're talking about the death of Jesus and he, he comes up and he talks with them and they don't recognize him at all. They have no idea who he is. And so they're talking about the Bible and about you know, the death of Jesus and they, they, they take a break, they take a pit stop to eat a meal and it's when they sit down and Jesus breaks the bread that they recognize him. They're like, whoa, that's Jesus. The act of breaking bread was so familiar to them that as soon as Jesus did it, they knew exactly who he was. Friends, that's just the gospel of Luke. We didn't, we didn't even touch Matthew and Mark and John. Here's what uh, Robert Karras, uh, is a Bible scholar, says. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Like, that's the story of my life. <laughs> that's how I want to live, right? I love it. And I think Jesus did it on purpose. I think the reason why it's recorded so often that Jesus ate meals with people who were different from him is he is setting an example for us. And he is saying with his actions that the table is a place where people can find common ground, they can know that they're valued and loved, and it's a safe place where you can talk about difficult issues. He did all of that at the table, and I believe that he wants us to do the same. So your table, can you think about this? Your table can be a place where God works in people's hearts to let them know they're valued and loved, 
to provide safety and to ultimately point people to Jesus. What's your table look like? I got some pictures of some of your tables. You guys shared some with me. There's my table. And I, I thought it was fascinating. Some of you guys have really awesome-looking dinner tables. And that's my dad's right there. Um, and uh, they're all so clean and everything. <laughs> I love that. When I was growing up, our table never looked like that. You know, we was, there was always homework and stuff and crayons and whatever all over it, matchbox cars. But your table can be a place of transformation for people. Is that exciting to you or does that feel like, eh, that sounds inconvenient. <laughs> I think if we're being honest, there's a part of us that goes, I don't know if I'm up for that. Like just inviting people over. Are we talking about strangers? Well, no. Please don't invite strangers over to your home. I mean, some people can get away with that. Most of us, that's probably not a good idea. We got to build a little bit of a relationship, you know. But here's what I think can happen. I want to go through three things that I believe uh, that hospitality communicates and why I believe this is such a powerful spiritual practice, not, not just a theoretical idea, but a literal spiritual practice that we should be building into our lives. First off, uh, hospitality communicates that we have something in common, that you and I have something in common. If you think about Jesus and um, Zacchaeus, what did they have in common? Not a lot. Zacchaeus was rich, dishonest, and people hated him. And Jesus was poor and honest, and people generally liked him. They didn't have a lot in common on the surface, but when they sit down at a table together, something happens. They, they have at least one thing in common, and that is that they eat, right? And we, we all eat. We at least have that in common, that we all eat and we all like, we, we like good food, actually. Everybody does, right? Have you ever wondered why God made food taste good? I mean, some food, not all food tastes good. Mostly bacon, it's good. Anything related to that. But why did God make it taste so good? That's just a gift. He didn't have to do that. It's a gift to us, and I think it's a gift meant to be enjoyed together. And we have this commonality that we, we like to eat. And I think sometimes we, we get this idea that, that we're so different and individual and unique that people can't relate. You don't, you, can't, you don't know my story. You don't know who I am. You can't understand what it's like to be me. And there's a, there's a grain of truth to that. But I think when we sit in that individualistic space, we miss out on something that can connect us to other people. The truth is, if you're a lonely person, the circumstances that led to your loneliness might be unique. But the feeling of loneliness is not. Lots of people experience loneliness. If you're a fearful or anxious person, the circumstances that led to you being fearful or anxious may be unique to you, and no one can really know that story but you. But the experience of being fearful and anxious, that's common. A lot of people feel that. If you're a joyful, positive person, the circumstances that led to your joy may be unique, but the feeling of, of, of being joyful and positive, that's not unique. And I think we have so much more in common with people than, um, than we think. And at the dinner table is the place where that commonality can come out. It's really important. In uh, a book called Eating Together, this author named Alice Julier argues that sharing a meal creates a sense of equality that helps us be more accepting of people with other backgrounds, whether it be race, religion, or political leaning. She says, meals provide a landscape to explore all manner of cultural and economic dilemmas that we have more in common, and so then our differences get put in the proper perspective. I think that's really powerful and important. That's what you can communicate through your hospitality. 
is that you have something in common with people who may, on the surface, seem very different from you. The second thing I believe our hospitality communicates is that you are valuable. You are valuable. It takes time and energy and effort to host a meal for someone, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to invite people over, especially if it's somebody who's never been over before, you, you think in, in a different way. You, you're, you start to look at your house through the eyes of a guest, and you're like, wow, it's not nearly as clean as I sort of feel like it is. There's that corner right there hasn't been touched in months, and it's dust everywhere. And you start to think about your house differently. You think about meal prep differently. You're like, okay, we've got to pull out the best recipe. Let's, the, the lemon chicken. We're doing the lemon chicken tonight. Everybody loves that. That's what we're doing. Like, you pull out the best recipe. You want people to have a great experience in your home because you want them to want to come back and you want them to have a good time. And it communicates value. When Jesus fed the 5,000 in uh, Luke chapter 9, 5,000 people, I mean, one of our worst fears, right, as a host or hostess is that we're going to run out of food. Isn't that a terrible thought? Has it ever happened? It's awful, right? So Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people. How's he going to make sure that they don't run out? He just makes more than they need. And so there's leftovers. He fed 5,000 people and there was leftovers. Why? Why did he make so much? Because he valued the people. He wanted them to get all they needed. I think that was a statement of generosity. And this is a value that we have here at Cicero Christian Church. We call it set the table. Set the table is this concept that, man, I believe if, if we provide a safe and engaging environment, it communicates to people that they're valuable to us. They matter to us, right? You know, the, the, when you walk into a public restroom, right? <laughs> Sorry, put that image in your head. But a restroom in a, in a, in a restaurant, you can tell right away if they value their customers or not by what you experience when you walk into the restroom, right? If it's pristine and clean and it smells nice, you're like, okay, these people really care about their customers. And if it's not, then you wonder, do they, do they know that we actually used it? Like, do people even care? It, it just really affects your impression of this restaurant, how clean the restrooms are. This is what we're talking about. Like, it matters. This kind of stuff matters. And if we can set the table for people in a way that creates a safe and engaging environment, it communicates that they matter to us, that they're valuable to us. And what, what can happen when you feel welcome in someone's home is that there can be a bond that forms that transcends all of your differences, whether they're, whether they're ethnic or language or political. So I, I experienced this in a, in a way I'll never forget. In Venezuela, uh, many years ago, I went on a trip with a bunch of youth ministers uh, which, if you know youth ministers, that's, that's, that's a nightmare, but it was a blast. We had a great time. Uh, so we went to Venezuela to help this um, group of Christians in a small community start a new church. And we took, a, it was a, like a 13-hour bus ride uh, through the mountains, and it was dark by the time we got there. But we were told that um, the believers in this community had gotten together in one of their homes and prepared a meal for us. And they said, hey, these, these, these folks are poor. They don't, they don't have a lot. And um, the way that you're going to honor them at this meal is eat whatever they give you and eat all of it. Because they, they don't waste food here. That's, that's not something to happen. So you need to eat all of whatever they give you. So we're like, we're on board. We're expecting like, you know, authentic tamales or, you know, something like that. But the Venezuelans wanted to honor us. And so they wanted to prepare a meal that they thought Americans would like. And the closest they could come was spaghetti. Americans eat spaghetti. So we'll make a lot of spaghetti. And they made a lot of spaghetti. But they didn't have pasta sauce. They didn't have like Italian prego. They had no, no prego in, in rural Venezuela. So they did the next best thing that they could think of for Americans, and they covered this spaghetti with ketchup and mayonnaise. 
So we were given, we were each given a pasta bowl that would have fed my entire family, covered with ketchup and mayonnaise. And we had just made a promise to our leader that we would eat all of everything that was given to us. This might have been one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> so we ate it. We ate all of it. And man, it was, it was tough going. <laughs> but the smiles on their faces as they watched us eat what to them was, was weeks worth of food. It was, it was unbelievable. Their generosity communicated to us that we mattered to them, that they really appreciated us being there. And then our willingness to eat this communicated to them that we, we value them. We are grateful for their gift. And we walked away with uh, upset stomachs, but very full hearts. And feeling like we had made new friends with people we didn't even speak the same language. It was awesome. It was a, it was a bonding moment. So this, this concept of, of creating a place where people feel valued, it, it can create bonds that trans, uh, transcend our differences. And I think that's something we need um, in our culture, in our world right now. And why wouldn't it start in the church? And the third uh, need, I believe, that can be met at your dinner table is providing a safe space. When you invite people into your home, you're saying this is a safe, safe space. It's a place where titles and income levels and power and authority, all, none of that matters. You're all gonna eat the same food. You're all gonna sit at the same level. There's equality, there's safety, and that can create intimacy. Intimacy is a sense that I can, I can share what's on my heart. I can be honest about my emotions and my thoughts. That's really important for us. When we're discussing difficult issues, we need to be able to be honest with each other. Jesus did this so well with uh, the Last Supper. Um, and it's recorded in Luke 22, but John tells it a little differently in John chapter 13. Uh, he uh, tells that Jesus is getting ready to host this Passover, this annual celebration that they have. And, and hosting the Passover is a big deal because you're responsible for leading um, everybody involved through this ceremony. And Jesus does this. And he, he gets everything ready. But then he does something that no host in Jewish history would ever have done. He washes the feet of all the guests. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like people touching my feet. I can't imagine. Well, well some of you actually pay people to touch your feet. I think, you know, pedicures. I think that's weird, but you know, you do you. Um, but this would have been uncomfortable. In fact, it was so uncomfortable that Peter actually said, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. This is beneath you. You're not going to do this. And Jesus said, I, if you want to be a part of me, you got to let me do this. And so he, he builds this foundation of intimacy by washing their feet. And that sets the stage for some difficult conversation that he has to have with them that very night about what's gonna happen the next day when he's crucified. And he spends a lot of time building encouragement and words of um, leadership and guidance into them. But it was all built on the foundation of intimacy by washing their feet. And your, your table can be a place where you create a safe space and build intimacy with people. It opens the doors for conversation that you, you might not have had otherwise. In Mexican culture, they have a word for the time after, you know the time after everyone is done eating and you sort of push back from the table and you just sit and talk? Uh, they actually have a word for that in Mexican culture. They, they, they call it sober mesa. 
sober mesa, which literally just means on the table. But what they mean by it is this is the time when we're just going to sit and talk. Nobody's going to be up doing dishes and trying to clean up. And, and we're all just going to sit here and talk. We're going to talk about whatever's on our hearts and minds. And I think, I think that's a very valuable opportunity, especially for us as Jesus followers. This is the time when we can have spiritual conversation with people. Now, I know that idea of spiritual conversation at your dinner table is a little intimidating for people. But here's what I don't mean. I don't mean this is a time where you get the family Bible out and thunk it down on the table and go, all right, let's go through the Romans road together. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, and maybe this happens over the course of several dinners in your home, three, four, five dinners, but you, you have this sober mesa time where you're, we're just talking after dinner and you ask a lot of questions. And you ask people, what, what's important to you? What, what are your values? How, how do you lead your family? What are your hopes? What do you, what do you dream? What do you, what do you want to be doing 10, 15 years from now? You just listen well to their answers. And then you get a chance to share about your life, about your values, about what God is doing in your life, what you're learning from him as you walk with Jesus. And we get to have this spiritual conversation that I think can draw people in to the nature and character of Christ in ways that can be transformational. That can happen at your table. And I believe that this is what Jesus wants us to do. I believe that Jesus wants us to seek out people who are different from us and bring them into our homes for dinner. That sounds like a very specific application of this, but I, I honestly believe the way he lived his life and the way that he, he did this in his own world and he broke social barriers to do it, I think it was a very clear message to us because I think what he's saying is something very powerful happens when Christians sit down with people for a meal. And most of that transformational stuff is not on us. It's not our job to change people's minds and change people's hearts. Holy Spirit takes care of all that. All you gotta do is cook the lemon chicken and provide a safe and engaging environment and be honest and ask questions and listen. And when it's your turn, talk about what God's doing in your life and just see what happens. I believe this is what we're called to. I believe this should be normal in the life of a Christian. So the challenge today, I'm gonna ask you to pray that God would give you an opportunity to invite someone into your home who's not a Jesus follower. Now, for some of you, you've got a long road to get there because you're like, I don't really even know people that don't follow Jesus. You know, everybody seems like they're a Christian in my life. So your challenge is you need to go find some people that don't know Jesus. I mean, that's normal for Christians too, right? And then you can build a relationship. Like, I I don't recommend just walking up to somebody and go, hey, I'm Adam, Uh, do you wanna come over? I mean, that's weird, don't do that. But meet people, engage with them, maybe maybe meet them at the coffee shop one time, or maybe um, go out to dinner in a restaurant. That's a safer environment um, for people that are just getting to know each other. But the ultimate goal is to get these people at your dinner table, people that you care about, that you love, they're not a project. They're not, they're not an agenda. They're, they're human beings that God loves and that we love. And we share our lives together at the dinner table and we just see what God can do. So that's the challenge. I'm gonna encourage you to pray that with me. It's a bold prayer, but I believe you guys are up for it. You pray bold prayers, don't you? Let's bring this before the Father. Would you join me? God, thank you for the example of Jesus and his willingness to cross social barriers to eat with all kinds of people. God, my prayer is that you can still use that today, that 
you can still use our, our dinner tables as a place to show people your love and grace, uh, to communicate value, uh, to provide safety and intimacy, and ultimately, God, to point people to Jesus, to salvation in Christ, to the life-changing message of the gospel that without Christ, we're lost. With Christ, we have hope. We have so much joy. Would you please work in our hearts, convict our hearts, put people in our path that need to experience what can happen at our dinner tables. And through this, God, would you reach more people with the life-saving truth of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, get ready to sing again, I just want to invite you to um, continue to, to let this challenge rest in you. Some of you uh, are, are leaning into it and thinking, yeah, I know some people, we could, we could do this next week. And some of you are leaning away from it, thinking, sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like it's really a, it's a scary thing and I don't know if I can do it. I just want to encourage all of you, just be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in, in your hearts and in your homes. And let's think through that for this day. I want to invite you to, if, if you have any decision that's on your heart, if you want to take a step of faith to be baptized into Christ or um, if you have doubts or questions that you're wrestling with, anything at all, and you want to connect with one of our pastors here, you can do that by texting this number on the screen or you can just find us in the hallway or shoot me an email tomorrow or whatever. We would love to talk with you and just walk with you on your journey of faith. Would you uh, please stand? Just take these, these thoughts before God as we uh, close.